Blog Talk Radio. General Quarters, Security Condition 3. Thank you. Security 3, sir. General Quarters 3, Intruder Alert. GQ 3, Intruder Alert. Hi, good evening, and welcome once again to Madame Perry's Salon, the podcast with more celebrities than the inauguration. Hey, this is your host and cruise director, Madam Perry, but you can call me Jennifer Perry. And you know what? I've just got to say thank you to everyone who's been listening, subscribing, downloading, uh, because uh, you've certainly made this a more popular show. You gave me a new audience. I met a woman last week who said that after she found it, she went back to the very beginning, and she's been listening to every single episode so she could hear them in, in, in the order, the chronological order. And she says she's up to... Um, four more shows to get caught up today and that was pretty cool so thank you Mimi if you're out there listening I think you're wonderful and uh, we've had so many fun and different things on recently for, or so many uh, fun episodes recently we had Ricky Bird uh, some of you may know he's a rock and roll hall of famer he was in uh, at least he made the hall of fame when he was in Joan Jett and the Black Hearts uh, as her guitar player he's also played with Ian Hunter Southside Johnny lots of people and he's been clean and sober for over 30 years. His latest CD, Clean Getaway, is uh, about that. And he goes to, he's got a foundation also called Clean Getaway. He goes to uh, treatment facilities and, and sings and, and talks about his life and answers questions and gives away CDs. So uh, if you go to uh, his website, you can get a copy of Clean Getaway. And that helps them. Uh, continue the work they do with people in recovery. Also, we have Pat Duggins. Pat is uh, news director for an NPR station in Birmingham, Alabama, but he's covered every single NASA uh, flight situation, and his book, Trailblazing Mars, very interesting. He was a lot of fun, too, as well as, who else do we have lately? Oh, uh, Pat, I mean, uh, like Stenson, he wrote a book called Downstairs at the White House about being 17 years old, accidentally get a job as the intern at the White House, which gave him a ringside seat to Watergate, if you can imagine that. And believe it or not, that was one of the most funny shows I got. Um, I mean, we laughed the whole time. But, you know, I keep – oh, oh, and coming up um, – Next week is going to be Steampunk Night. Now, it's possible we're going to have Professor Elemental. I'm not sure. This, uh, he's going to, we're trying to get him into the Wild Wild West Con in Tucson in February. Don't know if he'll be there. I, Madam Perry, I may be doing a panel there uh, if, it's, if my panel is approved, my suggestion. But I may be doing a presentation there about broadcasting and so forth and promotion for steampunk folks but 
tonight, my guest is somebody who's, she's not a stranger to you. She's been on the show before with other people, and she's visited our, our last Halloween special. This woman is an award-winning writer of fantasy, science fiction, horror, as well as a few other things. Uh, she's won numerous Sir Julius Vogel Awards, Australian Shadows Awards. She lives in a place called the Land of the Long White Cloud and in New Zealand, where she conjures up stories for readers of all ages from her office on the porch. But right now, she's here at the Genie's Bottle known as Madame Perry Salon. So I want to welcome Lee Murray once again. Lee, I think you've got your own little cushion over here, don't you? <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, oh, next to the uh, next to the rack, I think it was where I sat last time. <laughs> well, yeah, last time you were on the bed of nails. I think that seemed most comfy for yeah. you. And then again, that was <laughs> That's next exactly to the right. Jasper Bark had the electric chair, which is, you know, I think he feels like that. He feels a little uh, ownership there. He feels that that's uh, his own special place. (laughs) It's great to be back, whether I'm sitting on the bed of nails or um, on the rack. (laughs) Well, good. I'm glad to have you here. And so it's evening for us. It's lunchtime tomorrow for you. Lee, I don't know where to begin because you you are so well known and so loved and so popular in the fields of, as I said, sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. And I'm just I'm almost through with Into the Mist, which is uh, not. (laughs) Have you been transported into the Yorawera Forest? Have you? Is that what it's called? I could I can't pronounce it, but yeah, okay. Say it again. (laughs) Yorawera. Hey, Urawera. No, I don't know, but I think so. (laughs) Actually, there's a fantastic, um, there's a fantastic Maori dictionary online, and um, if you if you put any word, any Maori word or term into into that dictionary, it'll actually give you the correct pronunciation, which is a fantastic resource, um, particularly for people learning Te Reo. Um, and New Zealand's really trying to get to stimulate growth of that language and and bring it back because, you know, in the 70s and 80s it was kind of stifled. Um, people seemed to think that if they wanted to get ahead, they needed to speak English. And of course, we were losing, you know, this incredible heritage that that is inherent in the language. So, um, so yes, there's a big push towards um, Te Reo, and um, I think it's important to use it in our stories, particularly if we want to, to keep that sort of flavour. So, um, yeah, I was, I was very excited when our publisher was happy to keep those terms in. And I, and I know some people find them a little hard um, when they come across words that they that, that are not familiar with and they haven't seen before, but I do think they add a kind of a cultural richness to a story um, that, you know, you just... And, and, you know, who else is writing those? It has to be New Zealanders that are writing those stories, otherwise they just get, they just get lost. So. Exactly. I felt exactly the same way. And, yes, as for me, it just tended to add, add a texture and more of an otherworldliness uh, to the story. Because, yes, I'm definitely transported when I'm in a place where I, I don't know the names, I don't know the place, but you described them so well. And it makes it just adds a bit of a more exotic air to it, which is very cool. And I'm glad <laughs> Thank to know you. An online dictionary, because remember, I'm also reading it. I tried to listen to say what you say, but then again, I've also got my not only American but my Southern accent in there with it. So I just want to be sure. So that that's a good idea, though, to have that 
so we can know the word and know how to pronounce it. Um, yes. so, by the way, folks, if you're listening live and you want to talk to Lee Murray, and I get a feeling a lot of people do, uh, the number is 646 646- 716-9922 that's 646-716-9922 which blog talk radio assures me is a toll free call in the continental US and if you're outside believe me it'll still be worth it to talk to Lee Murray and um, <laughs> Lee guess what guess what we've also got we've already got somebody on the line um, and this is uh, I believe this is Sherry calling from San Diego Sherry welcome to oh. Madam Perry Salon Hey guys! Hi Jen! Hi Lee! Hi Sherry! How are you? Hi, I'm fine. Well, I'm better. I was sick. I lost my voice, but it's come back sorta. Oh, <laughs> oh it's so lovely to talk to Sherry. I always, I always enjoy sh- chatting with Sherry. We and you know, don't get us started. <laughs> we <laughs> tend to wrap it on for. A while. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you've got your voice back, Sherry, and I'm glad that you're here with us now. We're not going to try to wear you out because I want your voice to stay good the rest of the week uh, because you do a great show and you have so many cool people on it. But we're glad you're in here. And as you notice, I've still got your special cushion in here, your favorite one. So I hope you (laughs) just sit down, make yourself at home. Hope we'll get you some hot tea. Thank you. With with sugar and lemon, please. (laughs) Yes, dear, of course. A little southern comfort um, if you need it, but otherwise. Lee, can you say that name yes. again? Because it's really beautiful. Which was that? Te Udawera. The Maori name. For the that's for the the, the forest, um, which is on the east coast of New Zealand. Massive, big forest, absolutely beautiful and very. Um, well, it's it's terrifying as well because it is so big and so dense. And um, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a fantastic space. In fact, we have um, one of our most famous walks through there, um, the Waikari Moana Walk, which is a which is a, a several days through the forest. Um, a lot of people come out to New Zealand to hike that. So um, yeah, that's a, that's a name worth remembering. Is that the place where they shot some of the shows of Zena? Um, look, I couldn't tell you because they did a lot of locations for for Zena. Um, they did that all over the world, over the over the country. Oh, but they may well have done some work in there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Okay, I was just curious because you know I'm a big fan of Zena. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, still got a bit of a following. That's for sure. It's a big fandom, certainly. Um, yeah. Now, Lee, I think your most recent book came out this summer. It's Hounds of the Underworld. And this was another one in collaboration with you and Dan Roberts. Am I right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Actually, go on. Oh, I was going to say, you know, you don't know where to go. Where is, uh, um, who said this? Jeff Strand, author of Wolf Hunt, filled. Uh, What does it say? Uh, Hounds of the Underworld by Dan Roberts and Lee Murray, a, okay, listen to this, Sherry, you've probably read this before, a wild and gruesome treat. Okay, you don't say gruesome and treat together very often, but a wild and gruesome treat <laughs> with mystery, action, and dark humor. <laughs> That's yeah, a humor. 
Yeah, it was it was, uh, it was very kind of Jeff to write that blurb. Um, he, he's a fantastic writer himself, and and his his work is very dark comedy and um, with some very scary moments. And so, um, really kind of him to write that. Uh, but it, it's it, we've had so much fun with the series. We've just delivered the second book actually, um, and you know originally Dan and I thought we would write a, a, a novella. Just to, you know we had we would we thought we'd have a go at writing together, um, and we just got carried away. <laughs> we enjoyed it so much. We had so much fun. Um, and so now the second, we've just delivered the second book, as I say, and um, the first book, I think, is about 80,000 words, which is pretty standard for a novel. Um, and this one, we've sort of, we've delivered close on 100,000 words because, you know, you're developing the world um, the, the characters are, are moving along and, and changing um, and developing as well. And so it's, it's been quite exciting. So we've got a, a third book to write um, and we're still, we're still piecing that together because uh, we're, we're not very good at planning, Dan and I. We, <laughs> we tend to have a general idea of where we're going um, <laughs> and, then, and then we sort of just head off frantically and... Um, and Dan throws a few explosions in and things like that, and then we sort of have to work our way out of them. But it has been a, a hugely fun experience because um, we have this relationship which is a bit like a big sister, little brother thing. So we do a bit of squabbling <laughs> between us, and, and it's sort of quite apparent in the story. So um, the, 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 two, the two siblings uh, squabble throughout the, throughout the whole story the whole story and there's all the the, the sibling rivalry and tension um, and and and, it, and it's something that actually readers said they've liked that they really recognise that whole you know um, dealing with uh, dealing with siblings and 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 because they know everything about you they know the kind of pajamas you wore when you were a kid and you know who had what <laughs> job on a Friday you know <laughs> and uh, didn't get their pocket money or whatever. And so, and it, it kind of really works for Dan and I because we do have that kind of relationship where we're able to tell each other, hey, you know, you're out of line or, or you know, I really like <laughs> you did that and I was really proud of that. And, you know, it's, and it's been a nice sort of juxtaposition of those two, of those two relationships. So um, we really have had a lot of fun with it. And Raw Dog Screaming Press, which is a, a, a boutique... Um, um, press in the United States. The sort of very quirky, quirky titles are quite original, and we found a great home there. And they've been, they've really looked after us, which has been really great. Oh, great! So, how did you two meet in the first place and get together? Yeah, now that's a good question because it is quite a small community, and we sort of here in New Zealand are sort of horror and dark fiction writers. And in fact, I came across Dan about oh. I think it's about nearly ten years, not quite ten years ago now, maybe eight, and um, and we basically came sort of ran into each other on an online thread, and Dan was encouraging new writers, and it was something that I tended to do as well. So we got onto this online group, and Dan found a um, he found a sort of a thread about the crazy kind of things that could say, creepy you know, weird things it could say. And he said, hey, this could be a cool writing exercise. Why don't we all write some little flash fiction stories along this line, these lines? And some of the stories that came out, you know, within this little group were just fantastic. And we said, 
oh, we should make a book of this. And the next thing you know, Dan and I were making making a book out of this, <laughs> and some money <laughs> went to charity. Um, and so it kind of grew from there. We had so much fun. So we've done uh, things like um, we've we've both we've run a national convention programming together, the two of us, a couple of times now. Um, and we've done um, a couple of a couple of couple more anthologies. We've done some short story um, comp- national competition prize, prize you know, um, awards and that sort of thing. We've judged those. So we've done a lot of work together now over the years, and it's just we just click. So it's it's really rather it's really rather nice. Um, um, and so yeah, we both work, we both do our own individual writing, but it's nice to have a collaborator who who you get on with, and and you sort of have we like the same kind of things, so that's kind of where it's come from. But you can be, but you also have a good enough relationship where you can be honest with each other about things that they, that do and don't work for you, and I think that's very important. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think. The thing I, I had this conversation with with uh, Sherry once, and I think with collaboration, you're writing something different. It's not something you would write on your own. You've got someone else to bounce ideas off, and someone else doing a bit of research, and they have a different perspective and a way of looking at things. And also, Dan writes the sort of he writes the the broody sort of bad boy character, and I write the uptight little. Chinese girl, <laughs> somewhat like ourselves, and um, and because of the, because of that, we have these quite different perspectives. We come to the story at different angles, and so what you get as a as a result is something completely different that you wouldn't write on your own. Uh, although you know we still write chapters about, we do, and we do have these very distinct voices for our characters. We we do the, the whole the story as a whole would not be what it is if we wrote it on our own. So um, it's like having a third person in the room, if you like, um, when you're having this other other author, which is Dan and Lee, or the other editor, which is Dan and Lee, in the room. So it is, it's really rather exciting. The, the sad thing is that, you know, you think with a collaboration you're writing half the book. So instead of writing 80,000 words, you're writing 40,000 words. And you think that should take half the time, but unfortunately it seems to take double the time because with all the research and the discussion mm-hmm. and the, no, no, we can't do that, that's not going to work, <laughs> it ends up taking <laughs> twice as long. So anyone who thinks I, I'll go in with someone and we'll share the work, it doesn't quite work like that, <laughs> ends up being way, way more. So, yeah. What do you do when one of you really, really feels strongly about something or keeping something in or out and the other one totally disagrees? Well, you know, I'm the big sister in this relationship, right? So what I say goes. You know, it's it's very Lucy Van Pelt here. You know, I'll, <laughs> I'll just take his blankie away, and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, we we I, we just have a wee squabble and then we agree. You know, I think that's kind of how it works. There isn't any malice in it at all. So um, yeah. <laughs> Okay, all right, Lucy yeah. Van Pelt. I like that. Yes, yeah, so um, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Um, yes, I've we I do have the odd crabby day. <laughs> <laughs> no, now see, okay, now, now, but but just to back it up, when you talk about your personalities and all that, see, I don't believe you could be. Um, see, how did you describe it just a moment ago? 
Uh, oh, the the the, sci- the little t- Chinese girl who's uptight, the little science science scientist little chi- okay. uptight scientist. Yes. <laughs> yes. See, I don't see how how we can kind of put that together with um, with things where it says uh, some of the stuff that you've come up with that just really grabs onto people. Uh, so, okay, here's one. Um, Wait, I see. Here's the thing: is I want I want to say I want to read some of your you know, some of your uh, uh, reviews and blurbs. But yeah, I don't want to give anything away. Uh, but here's one thing: God, come on, you can't write some of this stuff. I mean, I'm reading, uh, and then all of a sudden somebody's just you know two two guys are just kind of school friends and they're tramping along, which is I guess which which, which uh, tramping means you know like hiking uh, or um, exploring mm-hmm. and stuff. And then all of a sudden. They take it, you know, they're asleep. One wakes up and the other one goes, looks for his buddy, and then half of him's gone. Okay, come on. Where's the little uptight Chinese girl scientist in that? Okay, <laughs> the guy is half gone. You can't tell me. <laughs> and then this guy's taking off running for all he's worth. Okay. <laughs> um, one of the, I think I think we do borrow from our own lives and, and when we're writing. So so when I'm writing Penny in the Hounds of the Underworld, you know, I, I came through, my, my professional training was as a scientist. I, mean, I was a research scientist by profession. And so, you know, I use that, um, although it's 20 years old now, but I do use that and draw on that. I do have a Chinese background that, that I draw on. Uh, my mother is, is, is Chinese, um, born in New Zealand, third generation, but still, you know, we have that, that, that element in my family life um, and yes I'm a serious perfectionist so so those kind of things um, that you know I'm the eldest of four children so that so those those are easy things for me to write because they you know it, it makes it easier because I know those things to be authentic and Dan a bit the same he has a Maori background he works in the security industry he's not the bad boy that quite that Matthew <laughs> is but um, but but he does you know you draw on these things to in order to create a nice authentic character now with um, Into the Mist which was set in the forest you know, obviously I didn't quite run into anything like that in the forest, <laughs> but I did do a lot of running and hiking in the forest for many years. I'd spent, um, you know, I've, I've run 25 marathons uh, over the years, and and a lot of those in New Zealand are run in the trails. And sometimes you can be on a trail, and if, if there are you know a few hundred people on a on a marathon run, you might not see anybody for an hour. You know, you could be running on a trail all by yourself in the middle of the forest, with you know um, nobody else around but the birds and the and, and the river and, and whatever. So it can be quite an isolating experience, especially when you're at you know I don't know. If it's, 37 kilometers or 25 miles or something and you're just on your own and you're really tired so you know you can I could I could draw on those things to um when I was writing into the mist um and uh and I think that 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 real experience is something that does does really um feed Mm -hmm. into your writing and make it real and I think that really does help so 
when I say I'm a little uptight Chinese girl, well, perhaps that wasn't the, the authentic me that I was borrowing from when I wrote <laughs> Into the Mist, but it certainly is when I, was writing, when I write Hounds of the Underworld. So, and, I, and I think this is something we do. When I, when I work with children, I always say, you know, they say, well, what's your job like as a writer? And I, first of all, I tell them I can come to work in my pyjamas if I want to, which is... <laughs> Which always, they always like that idea. Um, and, the, and the other side of it is that I tell them, you know, I steal things. You know, I steal ideas from places. I eavesdrop and I borrow conversations from people. Um, you know, I exaggerate. I make things bigger. I mean, you know, our little tuatara is the size of a loaf of bread. And, and Into the Mist, mm-hmm. I made him the size of a garden shed. So, you know, it's, it's quite, <laughs> you know, that's the sort of thing we do as, as writers. Um, and so anywhere we can make it authentic by using, by borrowing, eavesdropping, you know, stealing ideas, those sorts of things, um, I think that they contribute to making a richer, richer narrative. Do you do you ever get inspiration really from eavesdropping or, or lines or, or bits of dialogue? Because you know even David Mamet, you know the, the playwright, says he gets a mm, lot of his mm. best stuff from eavesdropping on people. A lot of his best lines. Yeah, and I mean you don't obviously you don't obviously write that conversation verbatim, but you would take elements uh-huh. of, or aspects of the voice and that kind of thing. You do need to be. Uh, an observer of life, I think, as a writer or a screenwriter or a mm-hmm. filmmaker, any of these creative activities, um, you do need to be quite observant, I think. You know, Agnes and, and look at that. Sorry, what was that, Sherry? I said Agatha Christie did that. She used to yes. be very sneaky in a way. She would, like, have pen and paper in her purse and very quietly write notes and then stick it back in her purse. <laughs> <laughs> and then yes, well, it's very dangerous now with cell the, phones. Yeah, but they didn't have that. <laughs> and then she would write in. They they showed her diary on um, uh, a special about Agatha on PBS here in the states. Oh. And one of the things that they showed was her diary, her secret diary, they called it. And it was so funny. It was like. Um, there was a plot line for a book, there were notes that she eavesdropped on, and there was bulbs for her garden, like, on the same page. Oh, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. I think that's a little really? bit like Da Vinci and his notes, with his, with his scientific notes and his artistic notes and, and, and writings all on one page. He used to do that too, didn't he? So it's, yeah. it's obviously something... I, well, I won't show you. I, I should, so I'm looking at my desk now, and there's papers fly all over the place, but there's no <laughs> order. So perhaps my problem is I need to have everything in one page. That might be more helpful. <laughs> I'm more like Maybe, you, Don Agatelli. I uh I noticed that when, and I'm sure I'm not the only person who's told you this, as I found out, um, as I'm reading into the mist, I feel like I'm watching it's very similar to watching uh, a movie or a film and I kept thinking this just lends itself so beautifully to a film the way everything goes, the way you describe things where we go from scene to scene and the characters that you draw and then um, I read the, the the review from Greg Beck or 
that says cinematic. It starts off cinematic and evocative. I'm going, okay, cinematic right there, first line. I can, I, yes, that's exactly what I see. Cinematic and evocative. Into the Mist is a tension-packed expedition into primordial terror. Murray's writing had me feeling the damp of the forest, seeing the mist curling through the fern fronds, and sensing the danger lurking there. Ancient myths, military men, and scientists placed in remote, primordial locations. It had all the right ingredients for me and didn't disappoint for a moment. Liam Murray's an author to watch. So uh, do you get a sense? Did, did you feel that way when you were writing it? Did you see it as a, as a film unfolding? Um. I yeah um well it would be nice <laughs> I didn't sort of see it as a film in my head um but yes it would be fantastic and set. lots of people have said that um I think partly because it's it's written it's a um it's an ensemble cast if you like so it's uh it's 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 a mosaic story in the sense that it's told from lots of different people's point of view and because of that which is which is a little bit what you do in a film, you know, you cut to someone else's perspective or you see it from, the, from, from one of the characters' points of view, and I think that that's perhaps the reason why. And because this is, this is a technique, of course, when you're doing, um, uh, is, is show, not tell, which is basically you, you, don't, you, you put yourself in the character's head and you, and, you, and you narrate the story that way. So I think perhaps that is why it seems cinematic and a lot of that internal thought doesn't get on the page with with um with screenwriting for example so the 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 filmmaker does that with with his filmmaking techniques so that's a completely different medium for me and i i don't know enough about it but if anyone knows how to get into taika atiti's house and put my book on his bedstand that would be great i'm i'd be fine with that (laughs) Um, because he isn't actually banging my door down for a film option unfortunately um but he would be you know we do have some we do have a fantastic film industry here in new zealand of um and you know with the films like the rings and um um mm-hmm. and you know avatar and all of the, a lot of those films are filmed here um because we have this great film community um a center of excellence if you like particularly in the capital uh and uh and so yeah it would be really really nice to to get it in, into film but it hasn't happened yet so we'll just keep our fingers crossed. You never know. Um, but it was very nice of Greg to give it such a Greg Beck to give the, the book such a wonderful review, particularly coming from a writer of his calibre. And and Greg, um, he's while he's Australian, he um, he actually is married to a New Zealander, so he does know the New Zealand bush. So it was lovely for me to hear him say that it really did conjure up you know, being in the forest in New Zealand for him. Um, and he writes very edgy, pacey thrillers. So to get that endorsement, oh, honestly, I danced around the room when I got that endorsement. It's <laughs> very, very, very kind of him. He wrote, it's fantastic. I, he, I'm a big fan of his work, so it was extremely kind of him to do that for me. Um, and, yes, interestingly, I did write a, an article for the Australian Times some, some time ago because other people have said to me Into the Mist needs to be a movie. 
and I, and I actually I actually sent a note to to Greg and asked him about that because why did why did he call it cinematic and what was it about it that made it cinematic for him and he just the fact that he he said again it was the fact he could walk through he could feel like he was actually in the place in the in the mm-hmm. bush um, but interestingly he said he's had a number of his titles, you know, potentially optioned for film, and it never actually happens. So it's a there's a big step from being optioned for film and actually having the the film put into production. And of course, there's a huge, huge um, organisational effort to get those sort of things to, to 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 translate from the book format to to the screen. So, you know, while I'm hopeful. You know, I think that it's probably a bit of a pipe dream. So, but you never know. You never know. I'll just keep putting my feet up there. I don't know. I don't know about that. You know, I've got. You, I don't know. You know, I'm a. Uh, I'm an entertainment publicist, and I've got a client whose uh, book was sold. The film rights were purchased before she even got it published. In fact, Sherry oh, wow. uh, here. Oh, Sherry's wow. interviewing her on Thursday. Oh, Is that right, Sherry. Wow. I must take that one out. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, my throat just kind of gave out a little bit. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, baby. Yeah, um, her name is Jennifer Irwin, and Sherry's interviewing her Thursday. Um, now, of course, it's, you know, she lives in Los Angeles, and so, that, you know, made it possible for her to, you know, it was somebody she already knew, and she was passing her manuscript to a few people to look at and go over and say, you know, how does this sound? How does that sound? You never know. And I'll tell you what, though, uh, when you listen, when you think about, Stephen King, I don't know if you have this TV show in New Zealand yet, but there was a brand new show that started. It's kind of, it's hard to say if it's like a comedy or drama or what else, but it's called Claws. And Stephen King is totally enamored of this show. Hmm. Have you heard of it, Lee? I haven't seen that one myself. It's, uh, well, let's put it this we're way. We're usually a little Claws. bit behind in New Zealand television, and so... Um, I can't say I've seen it here, but it must be something I need to check out, clearly. Well, let me put it this way. Imagine claws comes from the fact that part of the action takes place in a nail salon, you know, with very exotic (laughs) artificial nails being done. And the owner of the salon, she doesn't like this, but for certain reasons she's having to allow this guy or, or this group of people in the local uh, – it's hard to tell if this takes place in South Georgia or Florida, but the Dixie Mafia, if you've ever heard of them. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. Dixie that Mafia sounds like is, a great combination for a story. Yeah, the Dixie Mafia is, is laundering money through this woman's nail salon as well as a uh, methadone clinic. So <laughs> to, Wow, I didn't know there was so much money in nails, clearly. <laughs> and so so Stephen King is on Twitter all the time saying this is the best show going. I love this show. Um and it's it's wow, it's funny. It's, once I saw that I started trying to pay attention to it and watching it and it is funny. Um yeah, you'll we'll have to send that to you. So just just you you need to keep in step with Stephen, and then and then have him notice. You might want to just go ahead and and send him a couple of books. But I'm not your Stalk publicist, him, you so you do what you want to do. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm already getting a bit yeah. of a reputation as a stalker there, Jennifer. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe oh. that's something. I, you yeah. know, you can get arrested for that, right? 
um, if they catch you, yeah. But if you're so far away, you know, <laughs> they can just. <laughs> Only if they catch you. you. Other than that, it's no big deal. You know, it's just kind of. You're in another country. I don't think you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> You heard um, it here, folks. <laughs> you heard it there. You yeah. were fast. Well, I think I think my husband here uh, was reminding me of some of the other nicknames for the Dixie Mafia. I was thinking of the Cornbread Cosa Nostra. But anyway, but we'll go on from there. Hounds uh, of the Underworld. I want to get back to that since that's one of your most, uh, since that is your most recent book. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's yeah. it's it's going to be. I think it's going to be until about February of next year, and then the the Into the Mist series. Um, actually, interestingly, the publisher is just about to close its doors potentially, and um, so so I yeah I know it's it's unfortunate in publishing. It's very sad. It's really rather sad because it's a fantastic little publishing house, um, and. Um, so, but I've been really excited because, you know, as soon as it was announced, I had three or four publishers come to me and ask for the for the rights for the books. So, um, so it will be that series will be coming out next year, um, even though even though the little publisher has closed. So, so um, watch the space. I'll be able to I'll be able to make some announcements um, in the next month, and uh, and we should be able to see that Tane McKinn series come out. Um, Come out next year, and the whole three books, the, the whole three books should come out before the end of okay. the end of two, Listen, 2018. I just, I just love, I love the name Raw Dog Screaming Press. I mean, that's a beautiful name. Oh, it is. It's a fantastic little press, actually. Really great. Um, and they also have the Dog Star Books imprint, which is the sort of youth imprint. Um, and great little press. They're doing extremely well. They've picked up a couple of Bram Stoker Awards, I think, two in the two in the last two years. So each year they've won two. So that's going to be a, a hard act to follow for them this year. Um, a lovely, lovely, lovely little house. They they just a really nice family feel there and such quirky off the wall titles a um, little bit different and they're, they're risk takers um, they do poetry mm-hmm. as well as youth stories and they're just risk takers they, they, they don't mind taking a risk on something that's just that little bit off the wall and, and not you know, not your average story, which, you know, we've been very excited to be part of to be part of that group um, and some fantastic writers in there. Absolutely, fa- you, if you get a chance to check them out, um, Raw Dogs Screaming Press, they've got some fantastic titles. I will be sharing uh, the links and information on Raw Dogs Screaming Press on all of my social media um, right after the show and. Also on how to get the books, Hounds of the Underworld. But I also ask because it says Hounds of the Underworld, the Path of Ra, Book One. So will this be Book Two that we're going to get on this, or what are we? Yeah, you'll get Book Two. I think comes out in about June of 2018. So, and uh, and then we're working on the third book, obviously. So yeah, so <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So that's uh, yeah, those are the, that's the, that's the next one. But it has been we, we've, that we've already sent that one off, so we're working on the third one now. Well, there's quite a delay with Go. publishing. It's, it's a you know there's a long lead time, unfortunately, and it's tough on readers who are just hanging out there waiting for that next book. 
Um, and in the meantime, oh, I've been yeah. writing a few short stories and, and um, been working on some anthologies. Um, been putting together this last week with some colleagues of mine a showcase um, showcase anthology called Te Korero Ahika, which is which is kind of like keep the home fires burning, if you like. That's a, a Maori expression, and and it's a showcase anthology of speculative work by New Zealand writers. So we're trying to sort of get ourselves out into the world, and 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 we'd love for for the rest of the world to see, you know, what what kind of writing. Um, what fantastic writing is being done down here in New Zealand. So most of these stories have a really New Zealand flavour, which I'm quite excited about. And, um, and the other anthology just put together with, with actually one of my the same colleagues is um, Grace Bridges, is a, um, is, was a collection of uh, youth, youth stories by um, our New Zealand secondary school students. I think this is the sixth year that we've, my colleague Piper Mehia and I have been running this, which is a sort of national, um, two national competitions for, for students um, in writing and poetry and always speculative science fiction, fantasy, horror. Um, and, uh, oh, it's always so uplifting and inspiring. We get these fantastic... These are our, you know, the writers of the future, so it's really wonderful to work with them. And so every year we put together two little anthologies um, of the children's work, the best work from the, from the competitions. Huge amount of work. We get five or 600 stories in, and we have to... We give every student individual feedback. So that is... A massive undertaking, um, and just recently we just put out the last uh, anthology of the year. So those sorts of I I do I do manage to keep myself busy in between the books. <laughs> um, some someone told me yesterday that I was a pathological volunteer, and and I think that's probably not too far from the truth. Um, so, but I have I do find those sorts of things extremely inspiring. Um, you know, they just. They're just so uplifting to work with young people, and and some of their stories just incredible, um, and it, it, I have really really enjoyed it. And although it does take me away from my own writing, you know, it's 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 fun, and I just always like to give back something a little bit back to the community. I, they've been they've really looked after me, so you know you you do have to sort of put a little bit back from time to time. So that's that's the other thing that's been keeping me busy in between times. I was going to say, by the way, if you're listening live and you want to talk to Lee Murray, the number is 646-716-9922. You know, I also wanted to see, I was looking at a website called Fantastic Fiction and the feature on uh, Hounds of the Underworld, and uh, and I like this uh, paragraph where it says, Hounds of the Underworld blends mystery, Near future noir and horror, set in New Zealand, is the product of a collaboration by two Kiwi authors, one with Chinese heritage and the other, Maori. This debut book in the Path of Ross series offers compelling new voices and an exotic perspective on the detective drama. And I like that. You know, that's exciting. But also, too, the cover uh, this is a gorgeous, of course, Into the Mist, all your books have great covers. But Hounds of the Underworld, yes, you do feel like uh, uh, you're stepping into this world. You, you, know, you, you can t- look at it and tell you're going to be into a crime noir and uh, a bit of a horror and uh, definitely an underworld. 
so um yeah oh look we were so we've been so lucky um well i have been certainly into the mist was uh, the 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 um cover designer there was Dean Samad from the UK, a award-winning cover designer, and so that's been, you know, really, I was just so excited to get a cover by Dean, um, and he's gone mm-hmm. on to wonderful things. And then this particular cover with the Raw Dog Screaming Press for Hounds of the Underworld is done by um, Daniel Serra, an Italian artist, and he he's winning awards all over the place. Just, I think he won the World Fantasy Award just recently for a cover design. Um, uh, so just, you know, anyone who's anyone is getting a cover from Danielle and it's sort of um, done some Stephen King and some Clive Barker. So, you know, in the genre, he, it, oh, he's really wow. making a mark for himself. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so when we got delivered this this cover... Um, which is very, it is very crime noir, isn't it? And with that, I don't know, yeah. very seedy undertone, it was lovely. And we looked at it, and, you know, we were so taken aback because it's so beautiful, and yet it isn't it isn't uh, Auckland as we know it, which is where the story is set. And so Dan and I were, like, both so taken aback because it was such a wonderful vision of the future of Auckland and yet it wasn't what we recognised as being Auckland and so for the both of us it was like oh wow and then oh wow oh wow you know it was mixed reactions because we're uh, um, and we've we've been so excited the response to the cover has been wonderful and I really do feel it is a fabulous fit And and it's almost as if Danielle has offered something different to the to the story and the and the setting of the story by by giving us this image because it is not what we expected and yet now that we see it it is kind of what we what we should have expected does that make sense it's it's as if he conjured up what we needed to have in our mind already and because we'd come from New Zealand where we we know Auckland and that's where we set the story but we don't know Auckland in the future he kind of done it He'd done something that we hadn't quite done ourselves, so it was, it's really been rather wonderful, and the reaction has been huge. You know, um, we're very excited about that, and it was really wonderful because I don't imagine he's a cheap artist <laughs> to, to get now, and um, and Raw Dog Screaming Press are very kindly invested in 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 uh, this really fantastic cover, so we've been very pleased with it. Yeah, the, the, yeah you know, they, don't, they say you like can't judge a book by its cover, but, oh, I do think it makes such a difference to the discoverability but, oh, of the book. Oh, what a cover. Yeah, what a cover mm. does, you know, what a cover does. And it sounds like it was a bit of, uh, the way you describe it, like almost a bit of unusual, um, a, a certain level of synchronicity where it might not have been exactly what you expected or asked for, but it's like somebody reached into the story and into the subconscious. Yeah, exactly. To, That's to exactly. That it's some kind of synchronicity. That is exactly how how to say it, how to put it. You're you're dead right, Jennifer. It, it's it just it fits <laughs> it fits well. So. <laughs> you know the kind of yeah. thing like where if you you want something but you order something else and then the server brings you what you were really thinking about, but then order it's like what are they reading my mind kind of thing. You know. Yeah, ex- yeah, know? yeah, and you know, and and from the other side of the world as well. You know. So um, it, it's quite uncanny, isn't it? Sometimes I think things just work out the way they're supposed to. So. Yeah, it's almost like a, a Carl Jung, like a Jungian collective mind, but yet it wasn't on the top of your mind. But it was somewhere. I like that. I like those kind of connections. 
Oh, and I think a part of it is perhaps just the way um, Jennifer Barnes at Raw Dog Screaming Book, Books must have sent a, a, a script of some sort or some information to um, Danielle about the, what 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 they she wanted to see, and 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 I think that perhaps her interpretation was a good one. You know, she obviously knows the market and she knew the book and, and, and what would appeal. And so, you know, sometimes it's just how how that's interpreted. So she's been, you know, a, a fantastic advocate for the book and I think that might have made a difference. She had a vision that translated, you know, that she passed on because we didn't have much input into it as, at all. We said, this is Auckland. We sent a few pictures and said, you know, and, <laughs> and we've said it in the future and it's this, you know... <laughs> We weren't very helpful, so yes, they did actually, you know, step into the story and try and, um, and you know, and I think I don't think that a lot of people realise that in general the cover art is not the writer's decision; it's the publisher's decision, and it is really just a courtesy that they involve. Uh, you know that they involve the writers, and most publishers do, but it isn't a given. And getting something that that fits your vision is really a miracle, you know, because we ha- all have such in different interpretations. And even when you come to a story, we all bring our own we all bring our own baggage to a story, and and you know some things resonate for people that don't resonate for others because we've had this particular history. Um, you know, for New Zealanders, Into the Mist was great because it's, you know, we, we, can, we know this forest, we recognise these places, mm-hmm. um, but for someone else, it's quite different. So, you know, we all bring our experience to a story and, um, yeah, so, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Just sort of like, uh, you know, when the first time I ever saw music videos, and these were just some simple ones done that were back in the 70s, you know, I would think, well, yeah, some of these were good, but then again, I think each is, is like a little story. Each person interprets the song in a different way for how it, it it resonates with them. You know, in the same way you're talking about yeah. coming to the book with what what resonates with you, how you see something or someone. If um, you know, a lot today these days, a lot of authors are creating their own short films or short videos of their books in a way to or an attempt to try to sell it as a production or, or to a filmmaker or film house. Uh, have you ever ever had people act out scenes or create little short videos for you? And do you do you think about that? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, my focus is my focus is on producing a good, writing a good story, and engaging my uh, readership. So. You know, because I, you know, I don't know enough about film to know that business. So I think, you know, I think a lot of writers feel that when their when their story goes becomes a film and someone picks it up to make it a film, that's a completely different medium, and and, and mm-hmm. you need a, a completely different set of skills. And so often you'll see that the person who writes the book isn't the person necessarily who writes the screenplay. And I, I definitely definitely learned this when. Um, you know, Cherry will remember that The Thief's Tale won the Sir Julius Vogel Award a couple of years ago, which was part of the Refuge Collection, a charity um, horror collection for sanctuary refugees. Um, and and um, that particular title, uh, we decided we would make into a screen a screenplay to see if it would make a good short film. And Dan, 
my collaborator on Hounds of the Underworld. It's all very incestuous. Dan is actually a screenwriter <laughs> and he's come through the theatre industry um, and the film industry worked for a long time for WETA workshop people, um, the the people who do the Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings films. So Dan mm-hmm. said, I'll, I'll do a treatment on it. So he went and did the screenplay and, you know, it, it was a fascinating experience for me because I am not a screenwriter. I, I'm a writer, but and, but I'm not a screenwriter, which is a completely different thing. And Dan was saying, explaining it to me the way that, you know, even the, the dialogue has to change a little because you have to get it in the dialogue, what you can't get all around, you, you know, what you can't see or the internal thought and those kinds of things. It's quite a different process. Um, and I do have some colleagues here in New Zealand who are in this sort of acting film um, community and yes they do there are places in New Zealand here where you can take your work and you can have it um you can have a group of actors act it out and 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 and, and uh workshop it to see how better how you could write it better as a screenplay but like I say it's quite a different experience and and quite a different process for writing screenplay than it is for writing a story as a novel in, in, in a more traditional sense. So I have to admit to knowing very little about it, and it was quite surprising and very energizing to see your work being translated into into a treatment for screen, but quite different as well, you know. So it's, it's a little bit alien to me um, because it's how you tra- translate um, that that very traditional format into something that is very visual. You don't have the opportunity to, to, to see what the character is thinking, so how do you get that onto the screen? So it is, it's, yeah, exciting and also a bit alien to me as well at the same time. So I admit I know very little about it. Hmm. This, uh, um, it doesn't sound that way to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Do you do you visualize it like uh, when you in creating scenes? Do you visualize it like you would a film, or like you were watching it on TV? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I th- I think most writers would do that at some point. They talk to themselves as well, and yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I I think I think most writers will do a bit of that. I mean, there's a part of you know, and then sometimes the characters talk back and won't do what they're told. I think you've had that experience, haven't you, Sherry? Where your characters talk back and well, they say, no, no, I won't. I <laughs> Sherry had to leave us. She said her throat was uh, starting to bother, so she had, to, oh, she had okay. to leave us. But I know she's probably still listening. But, yes, we are thinking about you, Sherry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think... Not being a fiction writer... I don't have that being a fiction writer as a band leader, definitely. Yeah, when you think somebody's going to do something and they don't. But other than that, no. <laughs> what does, uh... Yeah, no, characters have their own sort of persona and motivation. So you'll be writing a story and you think it's going to go one way and then your character will basically say to you, Ah uh, no, no, I wouldn't do that, or I wouldn't say that, and then you have you have to you have to come back come back to the original motivation and the plan and say, well, actually that's right, and go with what your character demands of you. But sometimes we make that mistake, and and they do they're quite they can be quite verbal. It's very annoying. <laughs> 
See, I've heard so many writers say that, read so many, and yet, I, you know, I would never was sure. I was always afraid to, I think I would be afraid to say that because I'm not even sure if, if, you know, after next year my insurance would cover the, the kind of uh, response <laughs> I would get if I said something like that. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, you're the one who recommended that I stalk Stephen King. I'm just keeping that. I'm just <laughs> making sure <laughs> that everybody knows that. Okay, let me put it this way. You haven't read my actual essays, and, and this is, uh, you could call it creative nonfiction, uh, but I will have to share some of those with you, and then we'll see. Then we'll yes, see what you think. I'd be very uh, interested. See. Yeah, or maybe if you're having trouble sleeping sometimes. But here, I wanted to ask you about your books. You've got so many because I only have such a, a little time left with you, and you've been so generous with your time. Um, with all the fantastic things, you know, The Thief's Tale, Into the Mist, uh, Misplaced, let me ask you this. Yeah. Hmm. You also every now and then have something like Dash of Reality and Battle of the Birds that seem so, and maybe you, I'll let you describe this to listeners the way you want to describe those books or the genre or, or the style, but it seems like that's almost like a bit of um, a little vacation for you or maybe a palate cleansing if you're a food tester. <laughs> yeah, that's actually chef. a good way to put it. But actually, A Dash of Reality is 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 just a bit of a fun romp. It's, a, you know, a beach read. It's a, it's about running marathons and, and you know, a, a chiclet really and great fun. And, in fact, that's kind of where I got – I kind of learned a lot of techniques. So it's not my favorite of my books, but um, and it's, it's 10, oh gosh, 10 years, nearly 10 years since I wrote that book. And so a great sort of learning learning curve and not, you know, just a bit of fun. It's great fun, you know, a really fun story. So that was weird. that was that one. And Battle of the Birds um, is a children's book. It's middle grade. It's actually fantasy. It's a... I wrote it um, for my daughter, and we were living in Wisconsin at the time, um, in Madison, and I'd, I kind of missed home. I was absolutely desperate to be home and in New Zealand, and she was too. So I wrote the story about a little girl who um, falls asleep on an effigy mound in um, in Wisconsin and wakes up in New Zealand, which would be wonderful because we were both dreaming of doing that. <laughs> um, except for she, there's something goes wrong and she ends up back in New Zealand a thousand years early, right in the middle of the war between the birds who fly and the the, the flightless birds. And in New Zealand, you know, we have a massive um, number of, of flightless birds. So it was, uh, so that's kind of where that story came along. And and it was, oh, I love, I you know, it's been a, a you know, it's a, a great starter book and um, it's done so well. Uh, sold lots of copies. It's kids love it. I, I'm very proud of that work. It's one of my first works. Um, and Misplaced is completely different again. Misplaced is a young adult book, um, and I kind of wrote that one for closure. My one of my dear friends from in France, um, Florence, she went uh, missing and she's never been found. And so I kind of wrote that story as a as a way of working through the fact that I lost a friend and I have no idea where she is. So that so misplaced is about a boy whose mother goes missing. Yeah, and he and and he doesn't he doesn't know what's happened to her and it's that whole process he goes through 
while that happens. And, and it's actually, unfortunately, something that happens more often than you think, where people go missing and they aren't found. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you reconcile that? So in some ways it's probably one of my darkest works, and yet it's, it's a young adult work. Um, um, and, uh, and I set it here in the Bay of Plenty, which is where I live now. You mentioned that my office looks office from the porch, but I now have an office that looks at a cow paddock. Um, so, <laughs> um, so I'm back in the Bay of Plenty where Misplaced was set, and and yeah, but most of my work is, is science fiction or fantasy. I do, um, but those ones are a little bit different, as you as you say, and 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 I and I also write some picture books, and so um, <laughs> so I sort of I can't decide basically. I, I, it's a girl's prerogative, right? We can change our minds. Ah. Uh. All right, uh, Lee. You, you've uh, this has been so much fun. It just always seems the time goes by so fast. When it does, you're in Madame Perry's salon. This is like it seems like an hour's a long time, but then all of a sudden it's like it's it's gone. But oh. I just want to thank you so much. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. I just want to thank you so much. Thanks to our pal Sherry Rabinowitz, uh, host of the show, chatting with Sherry for joining us tonight. That was fun to have her here, and I just want to say. Go, yeah. Uh, it, by the way, if I if I responded inappropriately because I didn't get the last uh, sentence she said because uh, my dogs, I think they got into a fight over a tree. So I had my own, <laughs> I had my own hounds of the underworld here. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just kept hoping if I could still hear you talking, like I think hopefully you didn't hear them when it stopped. But yeah, I've got my own hounds of the uh, not the underworld under the desk. Um, there. So uh, well, look, it's been I'm, I'm fabulous being with you, Jennifer. Thank it's you been a so delight for having me. And I want, uh, folks, Lee Murray, author of sci-fi, fantasy, horror, all kinds, and then some other things that are surprising. Lee, I'm going to take you out on the show at the end with um, a song. Bye, 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 Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.